0: Chapter twenty two of Brood of the Dark Moon by Charles Diffin This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Sacrifice down in the pyramid you went down there herr kreiss forgot even his absorbing experiments to exclaim incredulously at chet's report guided by towahg chet had returned to Happy Valley there had been six days and nights to be spent and he felt that he should tell Kreiss what he had learned. Yes, said Chet dully. Yes, I went down. He was seated on a rock in the enclosure they had built. He raised his deep-sunk, sleepless eyes to stare at the house where he and Walt had worked. There Walt and Diane were to have made their home. Chet found something infinitely pathetic now in the unfinished shelter. Its very crudities seemed to cry aloud against the blight that had fallen upon the place. And what was there? Kreiss demanded. This hypnotic power? Was it an attribute of the eight men themselves? That seems highly improbable. Or was there something else, some other source of thought-waves or radiations of mental force? Chet was still answering, almost in monosyllables. Something else? he told Kreiss. Ah! exclaimed the scientist. I should have liked to see them such mental attainment, such control of the great thought force, which with us is so little developed. Mind, pure mentality, carried to that stage of conscious development, would be worthy of our highest admiration. I should like to meet such men. They're not men, said Chet. They're, they He knew how unable he was to put into words his impression of the unseen things and he suddenly became voluble with hate. "'God knows what they are,' he exclaimed. "'But they're not men. Mind, you say, mentality? Well, if those coldly devilish things are an example of what mind can evolve into, when there's no decency of soul along with it, then I tell you hell's full of some marvelous minds.' He sprang abruptly to his feet. "'I've got to get out of here,' he said. "'I can't stand it. Four more days, and that's the end of it all. I'm going back to the ship. I saw it from up on the divide. Still buried in gas, but I'm going back. If I could just get in there, I might do something. There's all our supplies, our storage of detonite. I might do some good work yet. He was pacing up and down restlessly, where a path had been worn on the grassy knoll, worn by his feet and the pitiful bruised feet He had seen from his shelter in the Pyramid, worn by Walt and Diane, his comrades. And they were helpless. Their whole hope lay in him. The thought of his own impotence was maddening. He poured out the story of his experience in the Pyramid, as if the telling might give him relief. Kreiss sat in silence, listening to it all. He broke in at last. Wait, he ordered. There are some questions I would have answered. You said once that they found us, these devils that you tell of, because of the trail that I left. That is true? Yes, chet agreed irritably. But what of it? It's all over now. Possibly not, Herr Kreiss demurred. Quite possibly not. The fault, it appears, was mine. Who shall say where the results of that fault shall lead? And you say that these thinking creatures are devils. And that they plan to sacrifice your good friends to strange gods. And still the fault leads on. Herr Kreiss, to whom cause and effect were sure guides, seemed meditating upon the strange workings of immutable laws. And you say that if you could reach the interior of your ship, you might perhaps be of help. Yes, it is so. And the ship is engulfed in a fluid sea, but the sea is of gas. Now, In that I am not to blame. And yet, and yet, they all tie in together. At the last, yes. "'What are you talking about?' demanded Chet Bullard, harshly. "'It's no use to moralize on who is to blame. If you know anything to do, speak up. If not—' "'Herr Kreiss raised his spare frame erect. "'I shall do better than that,' he stated. "'I shall act.' And Chet stared curiously after— as the thin figure clambered up on the rocks and vanished into the cave. He forgot him, then, and turned to stare moodily across the enclosure that had been the scene of their battle. Kreiss had done good work there. He had scared the savages into a panic fear. Chet was seeing again the scenes of that night when a faint explosion came from the rocks at his side. He looked up to see hear Kreiss stagger from the cave. Eyebrows and lashes were gone, his hair was tinged short, but his thick glasses had protected his eyes. He breathed deeply of the outside air as he regarded the remnants of a bladder that once held a sample of green gas. Then, without a word of explanation, he turned again into the cave, where a thin trickle of smoke was issuing. Ragged and torn, his clothes were held together by bits of vine. There were longer ropes of the same material that made a sling on his shoulders. When he reappeared, and tied in the sling were bundles—one large, one small—but sagging with weight. Both were bound tightly in wrappings of broad leaves. We will go now," Herr Kreis stated. "There is no time to be lost. Go, go where?" Chet's question echoed his utter bewilderment. "To the ship, come, Savage," he motioned the Towahg. I did not do well when I made my way alone. You shall lead now. He's crazy, Chet told himself half aloud. His motor's shot and his controls are jammed. Oh, well, what's the difference? I might as well spend the time this way as any. I meant to go back to the old ship once more. Rice's arm still troubled from the wound he had got in the fight, but Chet could not induce him to share his load. Is this mine wreck? he grumbled. AND ADDED CRYPTICALLY, TO EACH MAN THIS ONLY IS SURE, THAT HE MUST CARRY HIS OWN CROSS, AND CHET, WITH A SHRUG, LET HIM HAVE HIS WAY. THERE WAS LITTLE SAID ON THE TRIP. CHET WAS AS SILENT AND UNCOMMUNICATIVE AS Kreiss WAS. FOR THE LAST TIME, HE PAUSED ON THE DIVIDE TO SEE THE GREEN GLINT FROM A DISTANT SHIP, THEN PLUNGED WITH THE OTHER INTO A FOREST AS UNREAL AS ALL THIS EXPERIENCE NOW SEEMED. And at last, when the red light of the late afternoon ensanguined a wild world, they came to the smoke of Fire Valley, and a thousand fumaroles, little and big, that emitted their flames and gas, and one at the lower end of the valley had built up a great mound of greasy mud, from whose top issued hot billows of green gas. It was here that Kreiss paused and unslung his pack. Take this, he told Chet, and the pilot dragged his reluctant eye from the view of the nearby cylinder, enveloped in green clouds. The scientist was handing him the larger of the two packages. It was bulky but light. Chet took it by a loop in one of the vines. Careful warned Kreiss. I have worked on it for a month. You see, my equipment was not so good. I thought that the time might come when it would be put to use, only first I must conquer the gas which I now prepare to do.' "'I don't understand,' Chet protested. "'You are a master pilot of the world,' questioned Kreiss, and Chet nodded. "'And the control on your ship was a modification of the new ball control mechanism such as is used on the latest of the high-level liners.' Again Chet nodded. "'Then, if ever you are so fortunate, Herr Bullard, as to see once more that device on one of those ships, Will you examine it carefully? And stamped on the underside, you will find. The patent marking, said Chet, then stopped short, as the light of understanding blazed into his brain. Patented, he reflected. That's what it says. And a wondering comprehension was in his voice, patented by H. Kreiss of Austria. You, you are the inventor? I did not speak with entire truth, the Herr Schwartzmann admitted Kreis. "'On that occasion when I told him "'I could not rebuild the control you had demolished. "'With your equipment on the ship "'I could have done quite a creditable job. "'But even now he pointed to the leaf-wrapped bundle "'in Chet's hand. "'With copper I have hammered from the rocks "'and with silver and gold and even iron, "'which I found, occurring in a quite novel manner, "'I have done not so badly.' "'This is, this is,' Chet stared at the object in his hand. His tongue could not be brought to speak the words. But what use? How can I get in the gas? "'Cause and effect,' stated Herr Dr. Kreiss of the Institute at Vienna. And once more he seemed addressing a class and taking pleasure in his ability to dispense knowledge. It is the law of the universe. "'I perform an act. It is a cause. I have invoked the law.' and the effect goes out like circling waves in an endless ocean of time, forever beyond our reach. But we can do other acts, produce other causes, and sometimes we can neutralize thereby the effects of the first. I do that now. He picked up the second bundle in its wrapping of leaves. It was heavy for him to manage with his wounded arm. This is all that I have, he said. I must place it surely. "'Go down toward the ship,' he ordered. "'Wait there, where it is safe. "'Then, when the gas ceases, "'you will have but three minutes. Three minutes, remember? "'Lose no time at the port.' He had reached the base of the hill of mud. He was on the windward side. Above him the fumarole was grunting and roaring, and the Chet, the thin figure, gaunt and ungainly and absurd in its wrappings of dilapidated garments, became somehow tremendous, vaguely symbolic, He could not get it clearly, but there was something there of the cool reasoning sureness of science itself, an indomitable pressing on toward whatever goal the law might lead one to. But Christ was human as well. He stopped once and looked about him. A laboratory this world, he exclaimed. Virgin, untouched. So much to be learned, so much to be done. And mine would have been the glory and fame of it. He turned hesitantly, almost apologetically, toward Chet standing motionless and unspeaking with the wonder of this turn of events. "'Should you be so fortunate as to survive,' began Kreiss. "'perhaps you would be so kind, my name. I would not want it lost.' He straightened abruptly. "'Go,' he ordered. "'Get as near as you can.' His feet were climbing steadily up the slippery ascent. The faintest breath of the gas warned Chet back. Almost infinitely diluted, it still set him choking while the tears streamed down his face. But he worked his way as near the ship as he dared, and he saw through the tears that still blinded his stinging eyes, the tall figure of Kreiss as he reached the top. A table of steaming mud was there, and Kreiss was sinking into it as he struggled forward. At the center was a hot throat, where fumes like a breath from hell roared and choked with the strangling of its own gas. The figure writhed as a whirl of green enveloped it, threw itself forward. From one outstretched hand an object fell toward the throat. Its leafy wrapping was whipped sharply for an instant by the coughing breath. And then, where the hot blast had been, and the forming clouds and the erupting mud, was a pillar of fire, a white flame that thundered into the sky, straight and clean. Like the sword of some guardian angel, it stood erect, a line of dazzling light in a darkening sky, and the fumes of green had vanished at its touch. But Kreiss Chet found himself running toward the fumarole. He must save him, drag him back. Then he knew, with a certainty, that admitted of no question that for Kreiss there was no help, that for this man of science the laws of cause and effect were no longer operative on the plane of earth. The heat would have killed him, but the enveloping gas must have reached him first. And he had sacrificed himself for what? That he, Chet, might reach the ship? Before Chet's eyes was a silvery cylinder whose closed port was plainly marked. No gas now, no glint of green, the way was clear, and the slim figure of Chet Bullard was checked in its rush toward a mound of mud and the body of a man that lay next to a blasting column of flame, He turned instead to throw himself through the clean air toward the ship that was free of gas. Three minutes. This was what Kreiss had said. This was the allotted time. In three minutes he must reach the ship, force open the long unused port, get inside. At one side, across the level lava rock, he saw Tohag. The savage was running at top speed. He had thrown away his bow, dropping it, lest it impede his flight, from this terrifying witchcraft he had seen there had been a witch-doctor in towahg's tribe the savage knew sorcery when he saw it but never had his witch-doctor changed green gas to a column of fire and this white sorcerer kreiss powerful as he was had been struck down by the fire god before towahg's eyes towahg ran as if the roaring finger of flame might reach after him at any instant Chet saw this in a glance. He knew the reason for the black's desertion, then lost all thought of him and of Christ and even of the waiting ship, for in the same glance he saw springing from behind a lava block the heavy figure of a man. Black as any ape, hairy of face, roaring strange oaths, the man threw himself upon Chet. It was Schwartzmann, and mingled with profane exclamations were the words, The ship, and I take it mine myself, and his heavy body hurled itself down upon the lighter man in the instant that Chet drew his pistol. But tearing through Chet's mind was no rage against this man as an enemy in himself. He thought only of Christ's words, three minutes, lose no time at the port, and now the brave sacrifice. It would be in vain. He twisted himself about so that his shoulder might receive the human projectile, That was crashing upon him. End of chapter twenty two.